Are you not entertained? Get busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Today's guest is a man by the name of Terry Blacker. And actually, we got connected to Terry through, um, I did the National Day of Prayer in Maryland the last two years in a row. Matter of fact, we're going back this fall of 2023, where we're doing what's called an area-wide crusade, where we have over 40 churches of different denominations that are participating with the sole goal of coming together to reach people with the gospel of Christ. And we're really excited about it. It's going to be an outdoor event. Matter of fact, we have uh, Jason Crabb coming in and doing school assemblies. And it's just going to be a, a great time. A lot of people coming together for a common goal and a common mission. But uh, Terry, we're glad to have you today. Welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for having me, Jay. Yeah, I'm really excited about having you today and also excited about coming back to Maryland and anticipating the great things that, that God is going to do. But let's just jump right into the podcast here. You've got a, a very compelling story. Let's just start off with your life before coming to know the Lord. Tell us a little bit about that. As a child, my father was an alcoholic. So my parents divorced. I was about five years old. And my mother remarried. I guess I was about eight years old when she remarried. And started taking guitar lessons. At age 14, I started going to the dances, the teen dances, and I started drinking. I would give uh, the, I know, enough to buy me a bottle of wine and give him a nickel toward his, and he would take the first drink off of mine. So that's where it started at age 14. At age 16, I started playing in a high school band and started drinking uh, hard liquor and coming home uh, quite often drunk. Um, 1970, after I graduated, I joined the U.S. Navy and then was introduced to drugs. Now, after my discharge from the Navy in 1972, I started a life of drugs and alcohol. And Jay, back then, I mean, there was nothing that we didn't do. Marijuana, hashish, barbiturates, amphetamines, hallucinogenics, peyote buttons, cocaine, crack cocaine, mescaline, PCP, I did it all. A friend of mine even talked me in to injecting cocaine once. And when he did, and when he pulled the band off my arm and that drug hit my system, the only thing I could think of was I can never do this again because if I do, I lose everything I have and everything I'll ever want in life. Alcohol and drugs become an addict's only source of happiness. That's the only happiness I had. Try and look for what life was all about uh, through drugs and alcohol. Now, hang on just a minute, Terry. When you were talking about when you were uh, very young and uh, you were, were coming home under the influence, was your mother aware of that? I mean, did she try to intervene or, or were you somehow able to keep that secretive? No, it didn't seem to matter to my mother because after she remarried, she started uh, seeing my dad on weekends. And my stepfather became an alcoholic himself. So 
it really didn't matter how I came home. It just didn't matter to her. Wow. So there was no parental guidance in that area. Yeah, no boundaries at all. Just do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, now obviously I'm assuming that your family, your mother was not a believer, I'm assuming. I guess y'all had no church background or no spiritual influence in your life. She would send us occasionally, she would send me and my brother to church and on like Easter and Christmas. But other than that, no, we had no church upbringing. My uncle used to bus me to the old Central Assembly on Fayette Street as a little boy. So I vaguely remember that. But I do remember one thing about it is years after I had gotten saved and I was uh, working with our senior pastor um, at Central and a dear lady that became almost like a mother to me. And um, we were going to the nursing homes, sharing and working with the elderly people there and sharing the gospel and singing and so one day, I went to drop by to see her, and she asked me to walk down the hallway that there was a person that she wanted me to meet. So I did, and this little old lady opened the door, and when she did, she looked at me, Jay, and she said, Carrie Blacker, she said, I've been praying for you since you were a little boy. So I had her as a Sunday school teacher when my uncle bust us to Central, and she prayed for me, Jay, all those years, probably 25 years or more. It's hard for me to get emotional about that. Yeah, I imagine so. Gosh. Well, you said that eventually, you know, you had morphed into all different types of drugs before we get into your salvation story, and you knew that when you got involved that in all likelihood it was going to cost you everything. So let's pick back up there. Well, I started selling drugs because that took care of the bills and took care of my habit. The only time that I didn't drink or drug is when I was sick and I couldn't. And that went on for well over 10 years. One time I got into a barroom brawl and I ended up spending two weeks in the county jail. And then it wasn't long after that that I got pulled over for drinking and driving and I lost my license. So my wife had to drive me to work. Now you mentioned Terry, that you were married at this point. So was your wife also an addict? I mean, was she also a drug user as well? She would drink occasionally, but no, she wasn't. And she was a very good mother raising my two children. So how was that? I mean, normally when you're in a scenario like that and one of the spouses has an addiction and the other doesn't, it creates a lot of marital issues. Yes. Well, matter of fact, I was playing music with two cousins of mine. We were doing real well. And I was riding a Harley, working at the CSX Transportation. But I come home one day. And she confronted me. She said, I've been to see a lawyer. I know what I'm, I'm entitled to. You either want me and your children, or you want your music and your drugs. And she said, what choice are you going to take? How old were you, Terry, at this point when things finally came to a head and your wife laid down the law? 
I was about 30. Yeah. So what did you say when your wife said it's you take either us or you take the drugs? Well, the thing about it is, of course, I begged her many times. I begged her not to leave me. I got to the point then where I wasn't working much at all. And since I wasn't working much, I was buying the cheapest alcohol I could buy, to, you know, and drugs to stay loaded. But the thing that happened after that, not long after she approached me, the two cousins that I was playing with, we were doing well, playing the Holiday Inn, Sheraton Inns, the local pubs, lounges, and the bars. We were playing, and that just wasn't fulfilling that, that hole in our lives. The money and the music and the drugs and all that stuff just wasn't making us happy. So my cousin woke up one morning in 1982, and he turned the TV on, and there was Jimmy Swagger. So he didn't realize what he was doing, but he knelt down on the floor and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And when he did that, he called me and his brother and said, guys, we need to talk. And at that, that point, he really didn't understand how to explain it. But what he said to both me and his brother, he said, look, what I want to do and what I'm doing now is not going to work, so I have to quit the band. And his brother was devastated because they had played together probably for 15 years or more. So he quit. Well, hang on, now, Jerry. Hang on just a second. When he notified you guys that he had turned on the television and watched Jimmy Swaggart, uh, I- I'm assuming you guys probably thought he had lost his mind. Maybe y'all thought he was on a trip of his own. Yeah, we didn't really understand it because we knew nothing about church or anything like that. We thought, um, you know, we don't know what's going on with him. And his brother felt like, oh, he'll be back. Hopefully, you know, he'll get over this. Right, sure. Um, But he didn't. Thank God that he didn't. So I stayed with his brother, and we still did some gigs. But the cousin Bill that got saved, his work, was only about a quarter of a mile where I lived, and he would slip up on at at, uh, lunchtime and see us. But I knew right away something had happened. I said, something different here. You could just tell it by the way he was living his life or by the way he talked, or was it just everything? Everything, by the way he talked. Because we were miserable. His brother tried to uh, convince us to quit our jobs, buy Winnebago's, and travel the U.S. with our music. And me and my cousin Bill, we just refused to do something like that. And his brother would try to say, it's going to get better. Well, it didn't get better for either one of us. So I was kind of in the middle thinking, I'll play a little bit with him, but i got to see what's really going on with Bill. And so he started sharing the gospel. The more I've seen, he's not the same person. So you don't want to live a life of drugs and alcohol. The, the, the devil convinces you that that's the only life you're going to live. You might as well get used to it. But he invited me to church in this little church, Bethel Assembly God in Old Town, Maryland, on on November the, the 3rd of 1982. 
My wife sat clean in the back of the church, and I sat up on the second pew with my cousin Bill and another cousin that had been saved, Timmy. And when they give the altar call, I went forward and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And when I walked out of that church, Jay, the alcohol, the drugs were totally gone. There was no withdrawal symptoms. There was no counseling. There was nothing. It was completely, totally gone. My wife and my family could not believe it. He had done that miracle in my life and broke the chains of alcohol and drugs. Now, was your wife a believer at this point, or was your wife not a believer? And the reason that I ask, because I'm curious what her response was when she has a husband that's a new man. She was not a believer. Matter of fact, a few weeks after I'd, I'd gotten saved, um, I come home, and she was laying on the couch crying. And I asked, I said, you know, what's wrong? Did something happen? And she said, no. She said, don't you realize that you have taken me from one extreme to the other? <laughs> you know, because parties at the house, people drunk, people passing out, you know, and then all of a sudden, all that is gone. And I separated myself from everybody that I affiliated with when I did drugs and alcohol. It says, come out from among them and be you separate. And that's exactly what I did. So are you saying that your wife wasn't happy with this new man or she was just shocked by it? She was. She didn't know what to think because I, I went from one extreme to the other. Eventually she did realize, when she realized it was real in my life, God started changing her. So how long was it after that that she became a believer? Was it months? Was it years? A couple months. A couple of months. So you've got a new marriage. She's got a new husband. You've got a new wife. I mean, everything is it, everything's new. Everything's great. Yes. But then, of course, I uh, started there at Central Assembly. was very fortunate to serve on the board. I served as vice president of men's ministry. was able to go on mission trips with the church. And uh, But I run into some... Rocky Road in the in the late nineties, things got a little rough, and um, she asked for a divorce, and we had to go through bankruptcy. So I had to buy another place. And when I asked her, "Can we go to counseling and whatever?" she said, "No." She said, "You know, I'm just finished with the marriage," and so. I bought another place, and what I did then is I locked myself in. I locked myself in, and I, I locked everybody out, and I lived a, a life of depression, and that's when I started back doing drugs and alcohol. And um, so, so then— really, I, really, it was—and you don't have to go into details about why the marriage failed if you'd rather not, but— Right. When you and your wife, when she decided that she wanted to split up and, and you wanted to try to work it out and she wouldn't do so, when the depression set in, which this is not uncommon, 
Um, yeah. I, I read just yesterday that in the United States alone, $23 billion are spent on average every year for mental health issues, depression, and, and such. So um, even though you're a believer and you had been plugged into church and you were trying to live for the yeah. Lord, I'm sure you had your struggles yeah. like anybody else, but yeah. the demise of the marriage was the trigger point that took you back down a dark road. Yes, it was. It was that. It, it was that in the in the bankruptcy, I lost it all. And um, like I said, and the, the what I did is is I locked myself in my place for probably a couple of years and didn't do a whole lot. And, and finally, it was uh, my granddaughter, um, my little granddaughter. Um, she'd come visit me, and um, my my daughter would clean for me, and and she would always say, uh, "Pappy, let's play." And I'd always say, "Hun, Pappy's sick," and this went on for months. And finally, Jay, I really believe God spoke to her, and she said, "How long is Pappy going to be sick?" And I thought, "My goodness, I got a grandbaby," you know. So I, I did. I started. I got back into life, spending time with my family. But the thing I I did I shouldn't have done. I got another band together, and I and I, I started up playing in the bars again. And doing the drugs all over again. Yeah, got back around that old crowd and those old catalyst points that lead you back down a dark road. And the enemy's got a game plan for that. And it doesn't take long where you find yourself, as the scripture says, returning to your vomit. Yes, yes. Like you said, yeah, I went back, uh, you know. But there was always something in the back of my mind saying, you're going to get back to church. But the thing about it is, Jay, I had to straight. I had to drink as soon as I got out of bed, and I had to stay drunk all day because I was trying to run from the Holy Spirit. Because I knew that when the sun set you free, you shall be free indeed. I knew that I was a new creation, old things that passed away. And, you know, one night I sat on the edge of my bed with a twenty-two Magnum cocked at my forehead, but I couldn't do it. So as I lowered the gun, the gun went off. And the bullet went through my closet and through the outside wall. And um, and then it wasn't long after that that I overdosed on opioids. And the ambulance taking me to the hospital had to pull over because I stopped breathing for seven minutes. But God spared my life. August the 8th of 05, I said, Lord, I'm tired of running. I'm going to surrender. So I surrendered my heart to him. But this time, the withdrawal symptoms were pretty severe. It took over a week or so for me to get uh, feeling back to normal. But when I did, though, got back to church, I started taking my grandkids to church. And the only thing I could tell my daughter is, your dad's his best when he's in church, hon. So... I got back to church, was able to spend time with my grandkids and have them over my home and keep them for the weekend, which is such beautiful memories with them. I was asked to play with the worship band. And, um, you know, and they say, look, if you're going to be in church for six months and faithful, come up, you know, be part of the worship band. Um, But it took me over a year and a half, Jay, because I was away long enough that I needed to sit under that worship and under that word. Uh, 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 more than I needed to be on the platform playing and singing. 
Yeah, you needed you needed to heal. And that time frame when you were on the run and you were back in the bars and doing drugs, was there a lot of conviction? Did you deal with a lot of guilt and shame? And was God chasing you and you knew it, but you just kept stiff arming him? I did that. Not only that, on two occasions, I was in the bar on New Year's Eve, and one of the guys said, hey, let's do a little acapella tonight. And I said, sure. So we went in one of the back rooms to kind of rehearse a little bit. And he finally looked at me, Jay, and he said, I know where I know you from. He said, I've seen you at Central Assembly of God singing. And I just, you know, you talk about convicted. Another occasion, I was uh, in a bar with a friend that I graduated with, and we were standing there drinking a beer. And another friend of ours came in, and she looked at me, Jay, and just as loud as she could say it, she said, Terry Blacker, what are you doing in here? You do not belong in here. So God sent people, and God will even minister and convict you in whatever surroundings you're at. And he did that with me. But you just couldn't let go of it at that point. How about when you finally came back to church? Did people welcome you with open arms, or was there a lot of judgment that, uh, here's, oh. here's Terry, he used to be a guy that led worship, and then he twisted off. Was there judgment, or, or, or how did they respond to you? Oh, Jay, I had so much love for my church family. I mean, they prayed for me. They loved on me. They were there for me. And, man, did that make a difference. A friend of mine, Bill, we did drugs together for years and years, and he was a mainline junkie. And the only thing I could tell him is after I got saved, I said, Bill, I found what we were looking for. And I invited him to church, and he got saved. But when I got back to church after I had been away, he was in the church. And he, he was playing with the worship band. And I'll never forget one day, I'm sitting there in the pew doing the worship. And he looked down at me and he said, everything's okay now, Lord. I mean, it was such a blessing to have them to to comfort and love on me and pray for me. Jay, I mean, that's exactly what we're supposed to do for the prodigal children. We need to love them. And we need to show them no matter what they've done that it's covered by the blood of Jesus and they can be forgiven. Well, Terry, you're exactly right. And I'm really glad to hear that those folks welcomed you back and, and, and didn't put guilt and shame and embarrassment on you. Regrettably, oftentimes, that's not the story I hear. As you say, that's the way it should be. And uh, yeah. we should all recognize that we, you know, we all fall short and make some big mistakes and that every one of us are one decision away from falling away from the Lord. But but oftentimes that, that isn't what happened. But I'm, I'm so glad it did with you because it makes a lot of difference in the healing and restoration. I just know so many people who carry bitterness because they uh, did fall away from the Lord or maybe they the way they lived their past life, there was just a skeptical eye towards them because of that. But, yeah, it shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be. And we need to be the examples of the people that, that show the love of Christ. I mean, you know, and and um, the best definition of an evangelist I've ever heard, Jay, we're all evangelists. It's one beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread, and Jesus is the bread of life. Yeah, man, no doubt about that. How about the uh, band member who 
uh, met Christ through watching Jimmy Swaggart on television. Did he stay true to the the call, or did he kind of twist off as well? Whatever happened to him? Oh, he stayed true to the game. I'm telling you, I thank God for his commitment that he made because all the majority of his family saved. I got saved through his conversion. My best friend got saved through his conversion. I led uncles and aunts and mother and father to Jesus. And it, it was a domino effect from the day he got saved, Jay. Well, you know, that's the way it should be. And oftentimes, I mean, there are many of us that, that had come to know the Lord, and we are not that... that uh, that jump pad for other people to come to know the Lord, but it should be that way. And and similar to you, one of the reasons that I met Christ is kind of like yours, that my roommate, um, I came home one night and uh, we would always go to a local bar here in town called the Rock Inn. And um, yeah. I walked in and I said, are you ready to go? Because that's what we did every night. And he said, man, I'm not going anymore. And I said, I thought it was a joke. I said, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, man, I, I gave my life to Christ, and that was a shock in and of itself because I grew up going to church. He didn't. He was from California originally, and uh, uh-huh. he had no spiritual background. And, again, I I mean, it was almost comical. And and like you, I thought, well, number one, he's crazy. Number two, it's not going to last. Yeah. And the yeah. ironic thing about it is, is um, at that time I didn't have a bed. I slept on a sofa, and yeah. I would pretend I was asleep when he would come home at night. And the reason I would do that, because he'd have to walk right by the sofa to get to, we lived in a little bitty duplex. And anyway, I I would pretend I was asleep to see if he was going to continue this regiment that he had recently started. Now, this is a guy that never owned a Bible in his life. And um, when he'd first gotten saved, he would come in at night and he had this little workbook and it would ask questions. It, it's out of print now. It's called Survival Kit for New Christians, but it was something for new believers. And so I kept thinking, any day now, this is this is going to stop, and he's going to go back to his old ways, and we'll be back down at the bar. And so when he'd come in, I'd pretend I was asleep to see if he was going to go back. We had this little, um, I don't want to call it much of a kitchen. We had a Coleman cooler for a refrigerator, but had a little bitty old table that he had found somewhere with a chair. But anyway, he'd come in every night and he would uh, open up his Bible. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was so odd, so strange from his background and so out of character for him or anybody in his family. And I got to thinking something, I mean, something really has happened to him and he did it every single night. And he had no idea that I was, watching to see if he was going to can you know keep up this new regiment and yeah. uh, but but like you I saw a change in him and so yeah. when I eventually heard the gospel a few months later and again I'd heard the gospel cuz I grew up in church and really didn't know many people who I thought really lived it out he was the first person my age that I'd really ever seen that was dedicated to Christ and so when I heard the gospel um, one of the reasons that I was receptive to a possible change in my life was because I had seen firsthand a real change in his, kind of like, kind of like your story. Yes, yes. And that's really what yes. you know, we all should be. I hope our listeners that are hearing this podcast recognize the impact and the influence that you should and can have on others. And oftentimes, 
the impact that you're having on others, whether it be positive or negative, that you're not even aware of. My roommate had no idea that by the change in his life, the things that he was no longer doing, the things that he had started doing was planting seeds in my life that maybe God was real. And so yeah. that's a great testimony, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that that man you know, stayed with it and has still walked with the Lord. And you know, Jay, when you were here at Central for the National Day of Prayer, the one thing that really stuck in my heart was the fact of you and your family going to that Walmart. And after a few years, that greeter would say hi. But then one day he called you by name. And he questioned, you questioned him, how do you know me? How do you know my name? Right? That's exactly right. And he said, I've been watching you to see if you were real. Yeah, well, it, you know, honestly, even for our listeners that are not familiar with this story, it, that's kind of a synopsis. But, yeah, that's exactly what happened. We would, Missy and I had so little money that what we did for entertainment was go to Walmart on weekends and just walk around. And and uh, anyway, but there was a greeter that, that um, we had seen numerous times. And um, he never said anything about knowing who I was. And probably I, it had been a long time. I don't know, year and a half, two years, maybe longer. I don't yeah. know. One night in particular, he, uh, as we were walking out to check our receipt, called me by name. And as Terry just said, I, I asked him, well, how do you know my name? And, and that's when he replied, <laughs> I've, I've known who you are for quite some time, but I, I, I was just watching to see if you're the real deal. And so it was a very convicting, uh, it's just a reminder that people are watching and that your actions do have consequences and they can plant positive or negative seeds. And it's been a constant reminder for the rest of my life that, I mean, I'm certainly not perfect and I'm sure there's plenty of people that have met me that have been turned off for sure, but I want to, I don't always do it, but I want to be a good example. Yes. And and you are Jay, we never know where our testimony is going to go. Yeah, that's exactly right. No doubt about it. And and we need to keep, we need to be mindful of that and, and realize that God saved us to save others. And of course, I don't mean literally save because of course we can't save anybody, but, but I think people understand the, the premise by what I'm saying that we were given, as you say, bread to give to others. We were given eternal life so that we can share with other people, which really leads me, Terry, I, I know you're a musician and you've talked a lot about you being in and out of the music world. And I know you uh, mentioned that you serve on the worship team. How have you been able to use your testimony? I mean, do you um, do you still play quite a bit? Do you? I, I know you you do ministry. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I do. I have uh, restoration ministry because he restored me back into the kingdom. And of course, I remarried about fourteen years ago. And the uh, the lady that I remarried was Elisa. We were best friends at Central. I taught her three sons, and my daughter's Sunday school at Central. I played in a couple of worship bands, which I was really tickled with. And, and, and back in 2017, she said she felt the Lord say to her, Terry, you know, your gift is irrevocable. So I said, Lord, you call me back into the ministry. So we've been ministering since then. God has opened doors in prisons, uh, churches, uh, mission trips, nursing homes, senior citizens, senior centers. 
I, I minister at the Christian Motorcycle Association, colleges, Union Rescue Mission, football stadium, street ministry, coffee houses. So wherever God calls, we go. So, and when I go, I can speak to them, and I can speak with authority in the in the name of Jesus. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, that He can change their life. Yeah, man, it is. There is nothing that is more miraculous than someone being born again. I've never gotten over seeing it. And while I love to hear stories, I mean, just yesterday, a, a guy that. Uh, Many of our followers on social media have been praying for that was basically put in hospice and was left for dead, checked out yesterday. And I love to hear those stories, and those are great. But as you said, the greatest healings are not physical. They're great, but they're temporary. Yeah. But the greatest healing is a spiritual healing because it lasts forever. And and you've done exactly, Terry, what and, – and this is a common denominator with a lot of our guests where they have – been through hell and high water, but yet they've been able to use that. The Lord has been able to use their testimony as yeah. a launch pad to, to impact and, and reach other people. And the, even the gifts that he's given you, the place where you live, everything about your story, um, even yeah. though a lot of those consequences are the result of your own decisions, that God is still yeah. bigger than that. And he's still able to use that. And as you said, you're able to relate to people that maybe others might not be able to relate to because of the path that you walk. There's a scripture, I yeah. believe it's in Isaiah, that said that God makes a stream in the wilderness and a path in the desert. And I liken that to like a bulldozer clearing a road. But a man's mm -hmm. gift makes room for him. And, um, yeah. you know, here you are. Um, I asked you your age uh, before we started, and I believe you said you were, you were 70 what? 72. 72 years old and still having an impact for the kingdom. And really, Terry, that's what it's all about. I mean, yeah. no doubt. Well, Terry, listen, you know, last, last thing I want to say is we wrap this up. One of the things I love about your story, uh, it's a great story of forgiveness. It's a great story of re uh, restoration. But another thing that I love about it is that here you are in your 70s and you're still doing God's work. We have people of all ages that listen to this podcast. We actually have believers. We have non-believers. We have college age. We have young married couples, and we have people uh, literally uh, of all ages. And I love the fact that here you are in your 70s, and you're still doing God's work. And I think it's an inspiration. Uh, maybe some people might be out there going, gosh, you know, um, I'm, um, I'm, I'm matured in life, and I've gotten, uh, I've put on a few years can God still yeah. use me? And you're a living testimony, Terry, that, man, as long as you have breath, God can uh, and still wants to use you to make an impact. Yeah. And, you know, no matter what we do in life, uh, Jay, as we minister, we need the anointing. And the anointing in the, on the message that's being preached, it's always conveyed to and received by the hearers in the same way. It convicts, encourages, it reveals Jesus, instills hope, it empowers and builds faith. So if you have the anointing on you as you minister the Word or sing, that's the only thing the Holy Spirit can do. That's why it's so important to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our life, no matter where we go. When me and my wife walk out our front door, we tell each other we're walking into the mission field. 
That's exactly right. The mission field is not the church. It's the world. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being our guest today on Taboo Talk. I'm looking forward to seeing you this fall in Maryland. Uh, Trusting God's going to do great things, man. Keep up the good work. And thanks again for being on today's podcast. Yes, and thank you so much for having me, Jay. We're looking so forward to what God's going to do in this area. Amen, buddy. We'll see you soon. Mm. 